and amen. Salvation is of, what does the Bible say? Of the Lord. If you're saved, it's because Christ is your Lord. And if Christ is your Lord, it's because he saved you. It's all of him. Nothing of us, as Joe prayed earlier, except our sin. That's all we really contributed to this equation. Praise God for his mercy. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In our church health series, we've arrived at biblical practice of discipleship. And uh, we have one more scheduled health uh, topic next week. And then uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we'd get back to Romans, but actually we're going to get into Lent. Uh, you said, Baptists don't do Lent. Well, we kind of do, actually. We do Holy Week preparations. We lead up to Easter. We do. And uh, Lent actually started a couple weeks ago. But nonetheless, we will have some sermons leading us into the Easter season, the resurrection season, getting ready for our Holy Week services. If uh, you're newer to our church, we do celebrate Holy Week services, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday services. You don't want to miss it. It's a great time of fellowship and worship and preparing for Easter Sunday morning. But for now, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, the topic of discipleship, the biblical practice of discipleship. I'm going to give a, an absurd, you know, a lot of illustrations are absurd, and I admit this one's absurd, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to imagine with me that you work at a hospital, you're a janitor, you're one of the janitors at a very large, major, important hospital, and one day you're mopping the floors like you normally do in, in the surgical wing of the hospital, and suddenly a nurse just flings open the door and they say, we need you in the OR now. And so you think, man, there must, must be a mess in there. They must need this to be sanitized quickly. There's a surgery coming up or something like that. So you roll your mop bucket in there. You're getting ready to do your job. And you walk into this OR, and it's a chaotic scene. They're in the middle of a surgery. The, the open-heart surgeon is sitting in a chair near the patient who's open on the table. And somehow, some way, this surgeon has temporarily lost his vision. He can't see. He has the knowledge, he has the abilities, except he can't see to perform his job that day. And they've called you into the surgical room, the OR, to have you finish the surgery up as the janitor. How in the world do they expect this man to perform a procedure for which he has never been trained? Now, as I forewarned you. It's an absurd illustration, yet there is a similarity in how the church oftentimes treats baby Christians. No sooner does a new Christian become a Christian and the church is piling responsibilities and expectations upon this new believer, this new disciple, and it's really no surprise that oftentimes, too often, uh, too many uh, folks, their faith flounders before very few years even. Ultimately, however, theologically, we know that those who flounder were never saved from the beginning because the Bible says those who are truly saved, what? Endure to the end. Yet, we know that theologically, but we also know something else theologically. Every soul that professes Christ, that comes into fellowship in this church, even if not really a believer, is under our watch care. We have a theological, biblical obligation to train them and to walk with them in the ways of Jesus Christ. 
This is what we call discipleship. It is our responsibility to teach them and to equip them with the spiritual tools and the knowledge and abilities that they are going to need to serve one another in the body. This is discipleship is what we're talking about. So what is discipleship? i give you a brief definition here. Discipleship is walking alongside a fellow Christian in life, teaching them what trusting, loving, and obeying Jesus looks like. Now, most of this definition really comes from the Great Commission. We tend to think the Great Commission is just evangelism, failing to realize that evangelism is never just evangelism. Evangelism is always for the end game of what? Discipleship, disciple-making and discipleship. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So often our evangelism stops there, but verse 20 continues, Jesus does. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So evangelism is never the end. It's just the beginning, really. It's the means to the end of discipleship, which really is just the means to the end of ultimately glorifying God for all our days in heaven. The question is, how do we go about discipling one another in obedience to Jesus' commands here, all that he's commanded us? How do we do that? Paul's words to one of his own disciples that he made in, first, in first, excuse me, 2 Timothy is a great source of help and encouragement. Of course, he's writing to Timothy. We'll say more about that in a moment. But here's the text, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. This is God's word. Paul writes, then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This ends our reading of God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's ask for him to seal these words into our hearts and bring forth fruit for our, our joy. Let's pray. God, help us. We all admit, uh, no matter where we're at in our walk with you, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how many people we've discipled or how few we may have, whatever the case may be, God, we all confess that when it comes to discipleship, we're not always where we ought to be. We're not always as attentive or as obedient or as passionate as we ought to be. And as a local church, it's one of the marks of what a strong church is about. So help us, help us to be stronger in our discipling relationships, starting with each and every one of us, Lord. Uh, we all need to grow here. And so give us your grace, Lord. Strengthen us by your grace, please. In the name of Jesus, I ask, amen. So Timothy, as you know, was one of Paul's protégés in the faith. He's one of his uh, converts, if you will. He personally discipled Timothy himself. Timothy was one of the most faithful co-workers that Paul worked with in the early church times, church planting and missions, traveling with him, one of the most faithful of all that he worked with. 
Timothy, we know that Timothy had been serving in the local Ephesian church. Probably, we're reading into the text a little bit, but I think it's accurate to say that he was a pastor or elder in the local church there at Ephesus after Paul had kind of left him behind there and that kind of thing. And so there's plenty of evidence that may be the case. Nonetheless, what is it about this discipling relationship, these words of Paul to Timothy, that we can take away for our own uh, learning regarding discipleship? Number one, first main truth, Christian discipleship is empowered by God's grace. You say, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. You can't evangelize, you can't disciple, you can't do anything in the local church. You can't even cook a meal for one another apart from the grace of God. So of course I can cook a meal apart from the grace of God. No, no, you really can't. Not, not, not really. See, everything is empowered by the grace of God. This is true of all that we do because it, it, we as Christians, how do we become a Christian? How do we become a disciple? By the grace of God. So therefore, discipleship, discipling others, making disciples and discipling them after they become a disciple is according to the grace of God. Paul begins verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But let's not assume for a moment, before I even explain the majority of that sentence, let's talk about one word, and that is the word grace. I believe, and I have read enough Martin Luther that he must have agreed that you can never explain grace enough times. Apparently, Paul believed it too, because he talks about it all the time. I don't want to assume anything in this church for myself or for you. What is the grace of God? God's grace is his unmerited favor. It means you don't deserve his blessing, his attention, his help. It is his undeserved and unearned blessing. Many Christians are confused about what grace is. And I think most of the confusion generally comes when grace is reduced to a possibility rather than a certainty when it comes to God's salvation. They reduce grace to a possibility. Well, it's all up to you. It's all up to your choice. It's all up to your will. It's all up to you. You've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and receive the grace of God. It's a possibility if. But I think the by and large, the teaching of Scripture is that grace is certain for those who receive it from God. Now, earlier, I think Paul says this very thing, I think, earlier in his letter to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Let's look at it. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. There is a certainty of God's grace, and the certainty does not lie within us. Where does it lie, Paul says? Because of his own purpose and grace. God's grace in saving a sinner is certain because it is rooted in his purpose. And what does his purpose have to do with? It has to do with his will and his plans, or his plans and his will. If God plans it, he willed it. If he wills it, he plans it. It comes to pass. Grace cannot be worked for. 
It cannot be bought. It cannot be taken by force. It can only be received. And the strength or ability to receive it comes from God who gives it. Only God can give it and only God can strengthen or make you able to receive it. This is what makes saving grace more than just possible. It makes it certain to those who receive it. Paul reminds Timothy of the necessity of God's grace and making disciples again in verse 4. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word be strengthened means to cause to be able. Literally, if you look it up in the Greek dictionary, it means to cause to be able to function or to do something. That's loud, isn't it? That's the elephant in the room. That's no elephant, that's a helicopter. God's grace is what strengthens us. That means makes us able to be a discipler is the idea of what he's saying here. Notice this in the passive tense of the verb. What's that mean? You must be strengthened. Be strengthened by yourself? No. By whom? By God. By God. God is the one who works his grace in us so that we can then work to help others receive his grace too. Number two, the second main truth, Christian discipleship is centered on sharing and demonstrating God's truth. This word kind of gets to the... uh, we, we, it's the necessity of grace is there. We must have it. Then this is sort of, sort of the definition of discipleship, really. It's centered on sharing and demonstrating God's truth. As Paul's son in the faith, Timothy had heard the gospel of grace from whom? From Paul. Verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. The gospel is the fundamental truth in our discipling, the gospel of grace. And he had heard many other things related to the gospel, certainly as well. The gospel is at the center, however, of all of this. The gospel is the air we breathe. It's the water in which we swim as the church. I remember Charles Spurgeon talking about the gospel and encouraging people to go to a church where you hear it and you hear it often. You hear the word, you hear it often. Because it is what we eat, it's what we drink, it's what we breathe, it's the gospel. The gospel is what? Again, let's not assume the gospel is the good news. That salvation from our sins is by grace, not by our best attempts at uh, earning eternal life. It's the good news that Jesus Christ came down to earth. He lived without sin. He died on the cross in our place for our sins. He was dead, buried, raised up on the third day, victorious over both sin, death, and hell, so that all who believe in him will be justified of their sins before God. That is the gospel. In a nutshell, God did it for us. Amen? He did it for us. Therefore, in our discipling, we must keep that at the center. You're going to have some relationships in your discipling where it's going to be really frustrating. People are going to be frustrated with you too, with your sin. You're going to be frustrated with their sin. And you're going to think, man, they should be a lot further along. You know what they're thinking about you? They're going to be thinking about you. Man, they should be a lot further along too. Friend, listen to me. The gospel is our only hope in our justification, in our sanctification, and for our glorification. It is our only hope. 
And as the church, we are to hold one another accountable to do this, to have these discipling relationships and to keep the gospel at the center. We are to hold each other accountable, just as Paul did not teach Timothy in secret over here privately. But rather, what does he say? In the presence of what? Many witnesses. Now, we don't know all that that entailed. That could have included some of Paul's evangelism. That could have included some of Paul's discipling relationships. It's probably a little bit of everything, I'm guessing. But it wasn't in secret. It was before witnesses, many witnesses. God's truth is not a private affair. It is to be shared. It is to be encouraged. It is to be entrusted to one another. Let's look at that for a moment from the phrase there in verse 2. Trust to faithful men. When you see that phrase, you're getting the fuller picture of what discipleship really is. Man, I've had to learn this and relearn this, and I had to relearn it for this sermon and be humbled by it because I don't always measure up to this, and I'm guessing some of y'all probably don't either. The fuller picture of discipleship, the word entrust from the Greek means to set before and or to demonstrate. In other words, discipleship is not just what? It's not just talk. It's to set before. Yes, we use words, but it can also have the idea of demonstrate, which is what? Actions. It's backed up. It, it is talk. Discipleship is talk, but it's backed up with a life lived as an example in front of someone else. It is displaying the truths you teach in your, through your own way of living. It is practicing what you preach. It is saying with Paul to the Corinthian church, be imitators of me as I am of who? Christ. And Paul goes on in another place to say, we urge one another to do this. But in urging one another to imitate Christ, we must also be imitating Christ. We must entrust the words of the gospel and the truth of the word of God in both words and deeds. To whom? To faithful men. The word faithful here describes those whom we disciple as trustworthy and as reliable. Most directly, Paul likely has in mind the training of new elders in the Ephesian church. I think that's reasonable to say. But there's really no reasons why that these words cannot be applied to everyone, whether you're training to be an elder or not. That these apply to us all <clears throat> as every Christian. Listen to me. Every Christian is called to be a part of discipling relationships. You say, well, I'm just an introvert and I, 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 I can't do this and do that. First of all, don't tell God what he can't do with you, first of all. Second of all, God will take your particular personality, whether you're more introverted, introverted, extroverted, or somewhere in between, and God will use you exactly in the way he knows he can use you. We all have a part to play in this local church, in this world, to disciple other people. If you are just coming to church to be discipled only, primarily, you are missing out on a huge blessing. A huge blessing. A huge challenge, I admit it, but a huge blessing as you will get so much more out of your own discipleship when you are investing in someone else's discipleship. This is why I hate the pragmatic gospel, the entertainment-driven gospel that declares, you know, just come and come. We're just gather. We just gather. We just gather. 
And the bigger the gathering, the better, because you can slip in and slip out of that congregation, and people don't even know you've been there. There's no there's there's rarely a lot of discipleship going on in some of those situations. I'm not talking about a large church that does discipleship well. Those are those out there, and I thank God for them. I'm talking about the pragmatic-driven, entertainment-driven churches. And they know who they are, and you know who some of them are too. We need, let's stop fussing at their churches, let's fuss at us. We need faithful men to stand up and lead the church, beginning with the elders who preach God's word, along with other men who stand shoulder to shoulder with them, who are unafraid to stand before the church, I mean, literally before the church at times, whether it be in prayer and scripture reading, leading out, doing things, taking a risk. You say, it's scary. I know. I know it is. I know it's scary. I'm a pastor. I feel it. It's what we need. We need men to stand up, faithful men who are unafraid to lead out in this congregation. And by the way, you say, well, aren't we doing that? Yes, we are. Are we doing it enough? No, we're not. You say, well, that's not very kind. We're, we'll never be enough, guys. This isn't about, well, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm saying, listen, be strengthened by the grace of God among us. It's an encouragement not to be settled and go, yeah, we, we've arrived. No, we haven't. We're growing. We're pushing. We're standing up. Amen? That's what we're shooting for is never to be complacent. So we need men to stand up serving in the church. We need men to stand up and to lead out and to lead their families in life groups, to take them to them. We need men stepping up, leading us in various activities in the church. And we need men to stand up and that be in private, one-on-one -on -one relationships with other men in the church. When's the last time you took a brother out for lunch just to talk about Jesus? When's the last time you had that kind of fellowship? You said, well, nobody's invited me. Listen, I'm the world's worst about doing that kind of junk. I'm just, going, I'm just being honest with you. Well, I'm going to pick on Matt because this hasn't happened. I'm going to pick on, well, Matt didn't call me. He hadn't called me in two months to go out to eat. That's kind of arrogant if you think about it, is it not? Why should I not? Does love not reach out to someone else? And so if you feel a little corrected there, please know I'm correcting myself right now too, right in front of you. Because I'm pretty bad about that idea. I go, well, he hasn't called me or she didn't call me or whatever. We got to be really careful about that kind of stuff, church. We got to be really careful about that. It's very self-centered. We need faithful men. What about the women? We need faithful women. We need faithful women to stand up and lead the women of this church in serving the body, especially in the areas of hospitality and bereavement ministries, because y'all knock it out of the park when you do those kinds of things. My goodness. Man, you're great at it. Do it. You've been doing it. Keep doing it. Be faithful. And we need women to step up and to lead other women in one-on-one -on -one discipling relationships. When's the last time you had got together just because, just to talk about the Lord, just to talk about the sermon, just to pray together, not because it was some official event that had to be done. It's like, oh, I gotta go do this. It's a church event. No, just to get together. The goal of all of our discipling is that we will be able, verse two, that we will be able to teach, that we will be able to teach others also. 
that these, excuse me, that they will, the people we disciple will then be able to do what? Teach others also. What's the idea here? Men teaching men who will teach more men. Women teaching women who will teach more women. Discipling relationships. Last main point, number three. Christian discipleship requires endurance. Yes, it does. As we pursue the discipling-making process as a church, there's going to be opposition to our work. Sometimes it's going to be things that we don't expect. Usually it's things we don't expect. Some things really, really don't expect. There will be opposition to our work. We will make plans. We will make plans. You will try to set dates. You will try to schedule things, etc. Plans change. I'll give you an example. I did not prep Matt on this, so Matt, sorry. For example, Matt and I had every intention of having a fourth life group started by the first of this year. And man, we were looking so forward to it. We were excited. We had some things set up. We had a volunteer. I mean, we were so excited about it because we desperately need a fourth life group right now. But an unexpected circumstance prevented us, forcing us to go back to the planning stage, right? Go back to the drawing board sometimes, and that's what we had to do. Yet, I can't speak 100% for him because I didn't prep him, but I know based on our other conversations, we do not despair. Why? Because we know that we're on God's timeline. Our church is on God's timeline. And we know that the group, though it seems delayed, will be all the better because God has delayed it. That's what, that, I have to see it that way. Because from our perspective, everything was lined up. But it wasn't on God's timeline. I'm very thankful not to embarrass him. I'm very thankful for our, one of our deacons, Joe Anise, who he was actually the one who was going to start a new group and ended up he had to take the reins of one of our existing groups and he has done a fantastic job. And so I thank him for that, leading that third group. We're aware that there are a few of you that are not in a life group that would like to be. And by the way, if you're not in a life group but you don't want to be, I'd love to encourage you to get into one. You say there's not one room for one, I know, but just do when we get them together. We're working on it. We've struggled to place people because our groups are big. They're too big, many of them. So pray for us. It's our prayer. This fourth group will be started by the fall. That's our goal. The Lord seems to be working that out. So pray that this happens, and thank you for your patient endurance. Tie that back into the main point, endurance. Discipleship requires endurance. What's Paul say there in verses 3, 5, and 6 in particular? He gives three illustrations of how endurance in our discipling is required. He says, share in the suffering as a good soldier, as an athlete, and as the hardworking farmer. The three illustrations. The phrase, share in the sufferings, is one Greek verb. It's really long in the Greek. It's huge. One Greek verb, share in the sufferings. It means to suffer together with someone. Literally means that. Suffer together with someone. No one ever has said that discipleship is easy. Or if they did, they were flat out wrong. I'll tell you what's easy. I already alluded to this earlier. 
getting a little bit on my soapbox. I'm outside my notes. You know I'm on a soapbox, right? Or a rabbit trail, one of the two or both. I'll tell you what's easy. You slip in on a Sunday morning, even in a small church it can happen, and you slip out, and people are none the wiser. You slip in, you slip out, you slip in, and you slip out. You know what makes that easy? Nobody asks you, why haven't you been here for six months? Where have you been? We've been checking. We've been trying to call you. Or why did I see your car parked down at whatever, Cahoots? honky-tonk over there Friday night. Why, why were you doing at Cahoots? I was doing evangelism. Well, praise the Lord. Okay. I was getting drunk out of my gourd. Not good. Difference there, right? You see, you slip in, you slip out. Where's the accountability? Where's the growth? Where's the teaching moments? Where's the interaction? That's easy. You know what's hard? Sticking around before, after the services, having some conversations. And we expect everything to go easy. This should be all easy conversations. People should never ask me about how my walk with Jesus is or why, why I didn't come to this or that. You know, oh, whoa. That's hard. It's hard to sit in a life group and you're talking about a particular topic. I'm still on my soapbox, can you tell? You're talking about a particular topic. And you think, man, this is clearly what the Bible says, but then there's three other brothers or sisters in that life group who go, well, actually, I see it this way. Suddenly, your faith has been challenged. How are you going to respond to that? Friend, I dare say the way you respond in that moment is a teachable moment into how we are to interact with the world. When you interact with the world in evangelism, friend, you're going to come up against a lot of disagreement. You, we, you, I, we need those kinds of interactions where we're challenged. Where it's like, well, I always thought this about Jesus. I guess I was wrong. So, suffer together. That was a long soapbox. Let's look at the three illustrations. One, the first one, like a good soldier. Verses three and four, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Man, we could spend a whole sermon just on that. It's so full of stuff. When God, listen, when God saved you, he enlisted you in his army. You know where you used to serve? Before you became a Christian, you served in Satan's army. You were in his battle. You were on his team. You served him. Now you've been transferred. Now you've got across the enemy lines and you've been transferred into the Lord's army. You have a new commander in chief. His name is Jesus Christ the Lord. And your single-minded devotion from the text is to please him, to fight for him, to fight your own sin, to fight for the truth in sharing it with others. And I would say that if your Christian life doesn't feel at least at some degree that like you're in a battle, that you're in a fight against the entanglements of the sin in this world, then you need to examine your soul for a failure to fight necessarily means you're already entangled. It's sort of like getting caught up in a really a webby rope mess or wire mess. At some point, you just sort of kind of just stuck there. It's like, uh. That can happen in the Christian walk. 
Friend, we are to fight the, against the entanglements of this world. We need to repent when we know we've been entangled. Two, like a victorious athlete. An athlete, verse 5, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. When God saved you and I, he ensured that the victory is yours and that the race toward eternity is certain. Previously, you were racing on whose team? Satan's team. You were running your, in your life, race of life, for Satan. You were on his team. He was handing you the baton, and you were handing it off to others. You were racing on his team, but now you've been transferred to God's squad. Jesus is your head coach. He's our Lord. And the Christian's playbook is what? We play according, we run according to the rules. We have a whole new rule book of life, a whole new way of, of living this life, a whole new truth. The victorious Christian competes according to the rules. Running the Christian life without consulting the Bible is disastrous, like trying to win the Super Bowl by playing according to the rules of soccer. You will not only be the laughing stock of America, you will fail if you try to do that. The Christian knows that there is no knowledge of God, nor is there any experience with God apart from the Word of God. Discipleship is our only hope. The word of God is our only hope in our discipleship. Number three, like a diligent farmer. Verse six, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. When God saved you, he took you out of the fields of Satan and put you into his fields where there are yet many people that are yet to be harvested. Previously, you were working in Satan's farm, producing what? Wicked weeds, deceitfulness, Wicked fruits coming from your sin. And according to the scriptures, not only did you commit those sins, Romans 1, you also encouraged what others to share in them. That was your... See, before you became a Christian, you were an evangelist. Did you know that? You were trying to win others over to your wickedness, whether you realize it or not. Scripturally, that's true. We were, why? Because we felt bad about some of our sin. We had a conscience a little bit about it. And so it makes you feel better when you get other people to join in with you. Makes you feel better. Like, maybe I'm doing something right when you're really doing something wrong. But now you've been hired by the master farmer, Jesus Christ. We as Christians work in his fields, harvesting the precious fruits of righteousness that are produced by the gospel, by the sowing of the gospel. Paul then tells Timothy, verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's a bold statement, is it not? He's going to give you understanding in everything. I think the idea would be everything that I've just shared with you. The three main illustrations, think deeply about all this I've just said. And God will give you understanding. The verb think over. The word think over, the verb, means to think deeply, to understand something, to take note of what's true. And I think one reason that too few Christians are involved in the disciple-making process is because they really just haven't stopped to think deeply about it. That, that was probably me, and still me at times, to be honest. Growing up in the church, that was me. I didn't think very deeply about this. So as we end the sermon, I want you to think deeply about it. Paul told Timothy, think deeply about it. Think over it. I want us to do the same thing. What is Paul saying to you about commi committing or recommitting yourself to being involved in the discipleship at Grace Life? Steps to being a disciple maker. How many of these I got? I got five of these. 
briefly, hopefully. Number one, recognize the three key ingredients. I'm sure there's more. I know there's more ingredients. Here's three key ingredients in disciple making. Because you're going to be like me. You can say, well, I can't do this or, I, you know, whatever. We make our excuses. But there's really only three key, key ingredients. One is God's truth, the word. Two is his spirit, the Holy Spirit empowering us, opening eyes, opening our eyes, opening other people's eyes, leading us, giving us wisdom, giving us discernment, etc. And three, a willing person. If any three of those are missing, then discipleship won't happen. Two, but start there. Two, start with your family. Because it can be intimidating. I understand that discipling can be intimidating. But start, at least start with your family. If you teach no one else how to love, trust, and obey Jesus, teach your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Teach them the Bible. Share it with them. Pray for them. And be sure that you are a faithful witness example in making the church a priority in your walk with Christ. And bring them with you if at all possible, right? Three, participate in a life group. Aside from participating in the Sunday morning worship services, this is the best way to become a discipler of disciplers at Grace Life. And boy, we got a long way to grow. A long way to go, grow. I didn't mean to do that. No pun intended. But, uh, I mean, but yeah, that too. We got a long way to go. We got a long way to grow. But we, but God will do it. To be a Christian is to have a new crowd to hang out with. To be a Christian is to live life with fellow Christians. And I'm telling you, slipping in and slipping out on a Sunday morning is not going to cut it. It's just not. Says so it better than nothing, Pastor? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But we need these closer relationships. If not a life group, then come to one of our Impact Bible Studies on Wednesday nights. I am convinced this is the best kept secret at our church for many of our members. We have a great time of fellowship, a great time of study some time of prayer and accountability, but it's, just a, it's a good in the middle of your week encouragement. Number four, approach someone in the church of your own gender. Men with men, women with men, women. Our goal is to have this process going constantly, formally, informally, get together, discuss the Christian life, discuss the latest sermon, confess temptations and sins, pray together. Five, approach someone outside of the church of your own gender. You see, each one of these is getting a little bolder, a little bit outside of our comfort zone potentially. This can be very difficult. It can be very hard for some of us, but it is something we should all strive toward. Look within your circle of influence. You say, I don't know where to start. Look within your circle of influence outside the church. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sends out the disciples on one of their missions, and he, he describes these kinds of people in your circle of influence, if you will, in your pathway of life, who are open to discussing the Bible, open to discussing the gospel. He calls them a son of peace. Sometimes you hear the man of peace. And so we all have people like that in our lives. You know how it is. Sometimes it's a family member. It's like some family members you can talk with, you can talk about the gospel with them so easily, not a, not a big deal, even if they're not Christians and it's not pretty easy, but then others, not so much, right? In the same way as friends and coworkers and neighbors and complete strangers, some people are more open than others. And we trust the Lord with that. The point is we want to be a church that's discipling one another and seeking to make disciples outside ourselves. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask for his care. And let's ask specifically that we would be strengthened by the grace of God. Just as Paul said to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace of God. Let's pray.
God, that is our opening part of our prayer this morning, that you would strengthen us by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If that is the requirement, if that was the requirement for Paul and for Timothy, then we know certainly it's the requirement for us too. That we first need to begin not with our excuses, not with us passing off our responsibility in some way about disciple making. But just humble ourselves and go, okay, Father, we acknowledge this morning that there is none of us worthy of the task, nor do we have the ability in and of ourselves to perform this task. But we are confident that your grace is sufficient in all things for us. So, Holy Spirit, come and move upon our hearts and our minds that we would confess our neglect of being part of discipleship, that we would give credit where credit is due for any successes in discipleship. We praise your holy name, O God, our Father. And Spirit, encourage us not to walk away as if this is just another rule we have to follow, but rather, Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you show us the joy of walking in obedience to this great commission that we've been called to. Oh God, what you're going to do with us only you ultimately know. But we catch glimpses of it in the scriptures of how faithful you are to your people when they're faithful. Oh God, may it be so in each of our lives in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If I may pray with you, you're welcome to come. Otherwise, we're giving the Lord our sin and giving him our praise for his goodness.